0: Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to continue in this series. We've been at this, this is our third week, talking about prayer. It's an opportunity to pray. Uh, But also, as if you've been around the last couple weeks, you've heard me talking about praying for one. And let me explain more of what that means. Back in my... um, my early years at Galesburg Christian Church, I got this idea from somebody, you know, there's no original thoughts, right? I got this idea from somebody that what if we as a church would, everybody take hold of one person and pray for them every day for an entire year. And, and I came up with these little cards, which is why you have them in your bulletins. You know, you look at, well, what that is? Oh, that's what that's for. And our ones were, everybody just picked a person they wanted to pray for. We put them up on the wall. And I picked, I picked somebody that I wanted to pray for. And it wasn't anybody that went to our church, but it was a guy that lived not too far, because when you're in Galesburg, nobody lives far from you. And I knew this, I knew this guy. His kids came to youth group, and, but he was not interested in Jesus. He was not interested in church. He was a good old boy that I just, I just knew, and he kind of knew me, and so I said, I'm going to pray for him. Well, I don't even know how long it was, maybe March or April of that year. And I had been, I'd been lifting him up to Jesus. You know what, what we said a couple of weeks ago, you just, you just lift people up. Here, here they are, Lord. I don't know what to do with them. Here they are. You help them. Here they are. Just lift them up to the Lord. And, and I, I'd been doing that over and over again. And I, I see this guy occasionally. And there's, there's a gas station right there in Galesburg. And everybody runs through there and gets whatever snack or pop or whatever. And I, I would see him on occasion. And it was maybe March or April of that year. I was behind him in line. I said, "Hey." He said, "Hey" to me, and I don't. I don't even know what what prompted nothing. I didn't prompt anything. He turned around and he looked at me, and he goes, "You know, some weird stuff going on in my life lately, and I don't know what to, I don't know what to think about it." And I'm like, "Really?" I, I didn't know what to say necessarily. And he's like, Yeah, this stuff's just been happening and I think there's something I don't I don't know what's going on in my mind or my and he just kinda of lost track and trying to trailed off. And it was his turn to pay. And so he paid for whatever he had. And I wish I could have just, you know, grabbed him by the I, what I should have done after he said what I grabbed him by the elbow, walked him outside and said, Listen, Brian, I've been praying for you every day. For the last three months, I wish I would have done that, but I didn't. And I wish I could have some some testimony about some life turned around, some transforming power of Jesus that just took him and tr- made him into a new human being. But that didn't quite happen either. And I don't know if it's because I didn't pray enough, because you know I I probably lost steam through the year. I'll I'll confess to the, I'm sure uh, losing track. And and he just lived his life, and I, to to this day I don't know. That he has ever turned around or or wants to, but it was enough for me to say, and, and I knew in my spirit that he he initiated that he never talked to me like like that about anything personal at all, and it told me, this is for real, this God works in people who who don't want him, don't know him, don't think they need him. And the question for us is, what what if we prayed for one specific person as much or more than we prayed for ourselves? I mean, seriously think that through. Because it's not just quantity of time that I'm talking about. I'm talking about what if we had one person laid on our heart by the Holy Spirit, and, and and the Holy Spirit said, pray for this person, and not just pray, you know, in time but pray fervently what if what if we just prayed as hard or as intentionally or as faithfully about one person as we do about stuff that we need or stuff that we want or people that we care about i mean you might say oh i do pray for others you know and that's great but do your fervent prayers for someone else is it primarily about your own self-interest and'm I'm not, I'm not throwing stones i'm just trying to put, peel back the layers here about our motivations because we can pray we can pray for and we should pray for people's healing and well-being and sometimes it's all about because we don't want to lose them and we don't and life is hard when disease hits or when People get on death's door and you want to pray and you pray and and God honors those prayers. And sometimes he lets those prayers just, sometimes he answers in different ways. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for sick people. I'm saying what if we prayed for someone with the kingdom in mind first, with their eternity in mind first, instead of whatever blessing we're going to get if God answers my prayer for them. It's a different kind of prayer. I had an elderly person a long time ago tell me, you know, church people spend a lot of time, a lot more time praying to keep the saints out of heaven than praying to keep the lost out of hell. And that hit me. That stuck with me. I'm not saying praying for the sick is wrong. I'm just trying to figure out, how we view God as we pray to Him. And Paul helps us learn how to pray. In this letter to the Ephesians, it begins with who we are in Christ. Just a real quick overview of where we've been the last couple of weeks. Chapter 1 just gives us who we are. We're chosen. We're adopted into the family. We're forgiven. We've been redeemed. We've been bought back. All because God wanted to. It was His choice. He delighted in the choosing. And here we are, We're in the family of God, and then he breaks into his own prayer at the last part of chapter 1. We pray, we give thanks, we ask for the spirit of wisdom to know God better. We pray for people to know the hope they're called to and for God's glorious inheritance. We are his church, and we dwell and we ponder on Jesus the power that raised him from the dead, his authority, his dominion, his lordship over all creation, and we long for him and his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And as we pray, and this is how I've, I've heard it broken down, we pray for the lost to be saved, we pray for the saved to be discipled, and we pray for the disciple then to be deployed. And whatever level, wherever the this person is that you're praying for, that they just get to the next step, and then we we flew into chapter two, and it's good to be reminded of remember this from last week, who we were, what God did, and our response. Remember that over here? Oh come on with with attitude now that's okay, this is what we did last week if you if you weren't here last week and you forgot what we did or whatever. You're number one, okay? So here we go. And that boils down, you can tell your story. You can tell your story by using those three key points. Because he just lays it out right here. Who who were we? Well, we were dead in our transgressions and sins, in which we used to live. We were completely, at one point, because of our disobedience, we were dead. Relationally spiritually, eventually, physically, eternally, dead. I'm not talking about mostly dead. I'm talking about all dead. You know, there's all dead going on here. But what did God do? God is rich in mercy, and He loved us so much. Even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life. When He raised Christ from the dead, it's by grace you've been saved. You've been saved and you've been united with Christ Jesus. That's what God did. What's our response? Chapter 2, verse 10. We're his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. So we're saved by grace. We're saved by grace to do good works. And we're saved by grace to do good works together. This is the end of chapter 2. This is the unity part. This is the oneness part. You weren't just dead in your sins. You were dead in your sins together. You were not a people, but now you are a people. You had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. You were far away. Now you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. The unity of the church is hugely important in this story. It's a new family. It's a new humanity. God did the unthinkable. He brought together Jew and Gentile. In the cross in the body of of the of, of a crucified man, God made flesh and he broke down the barrier of hostility and he made the two one and we are as the body of Christ his image bearers to the world. God is relationship in himself he's father, Son, and Holy Spirit in eternal loving relationship community and he Pray, Jesus prayed for us as disciples and believers in John 17, verse 20. Jesus said, I'm, not, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. And I pray they will all be one. Just as you are and I are one, just as you are in me, Father, I am in you. May they be in us so that the world will believe. What is hanging in the balance? Our unity or our disunity communicates something very powerful to the world around us. The disunity of the church, the fragmentation of God's people all speak to a world out there and say, well, your God's not real. But the unity of the church, the love between its people speaks to a world out there and says, wow, your God must be powerful. There must be something to what's going on here if you really do love each other. Our unity in love and mission and prayer speaks loudly. Identity in Christ as as important as unity in Christ. It follows if I'm unified with Christ and you're unified with Christ then we're unified with each other, right? we got to be. Because we can't all just have vertical relationships and not then associate with each other. I've talked to I don't know how many people throughout the years. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't have any reason to go to church. (laughs) Excuse me, do you read the same Bible I read? Because that's not anywhere in here. I know the church has hurt you. Church hurt me too. There are people that do bad things in church. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be striving for unity, forgiveness, All the one another's. Who are they supposed to be talking to? Christians. And an unbelieving world is watching. And it's not just an unbelieving world that's watching. There's a few places in this letter that talk about Paul emphasizing that spiritual beings, angels, demons, who Paul calls the powers, authorities. There's these places, these, these created things in heavenly places that are watching. It's God's plan to bring about his plan on the earth and these things in the heavenly realms. you don't believe me, read chapter 3, verse 7, where Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. I'm less than the least of all God's people, "'This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles "'the unsearchable riches of Christ, "'and to make plain to everyone "'the administration of this mystery, "'which for ages past was kept hidden in God, "'who created all things.'" And here it is. His intent, God's purpose, was that now, through the church, the entire wisdom of God should be made known. To who? To the rulers, the authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose." We're being watched. Elsewhere it says that angels long to look into these things. They're not omniscient. They don't all know everything that's going to happen. Only God is. And there are created things and spiritual beings around us that are going, oh, that's how it's going to happen. That's what He's doing. Oh. Blows my mind. But that's, that's what this is about. And, and then Paul gets, it, it's, it's amazing with these letters, he, he was writing to these Christians and all of a sudden he just breaks into prayer. And this is, this is where we need to stop and, and camp out here for a little bit. For this reason, Paul says, I kneel before the Father from whom all heaven and earth derives His name. Listen, posture matters in prayer. After all God did, And we can do nothing. It's appropriate to kneel. It's appropriate to bow. Lay on the floor. I don't care we bear his name. And he says, I I pray, verse 16, that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. You think that God has a lot of glorious riches to draw from? You think He has a lot of power that He could give each of us here? Anybody need some power? Anybody need a little spirit to just inject into you for tomorrow morning? What needs to happen with your family? What needs to happen at work? What needs to happen this afternoon? Anybody need a little bit? You think God has enough glorious riches to go around? And how does He give it? He gives it through the Spirit that already indwells every believer and where does He give it? In your inner being, inside your mind, your emotions, your will, your body, your loves, your affections, your decisions, your identity. God's strength is there. And why does He give it? Verse 17, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Do you catch what He's doing here? I don't know. This is brilliant. I can't keep up. But he's, the, did you hear the Trinity in this whole thing? He's kneeling before the Father. He's praying that we would be filled with strength by the Spirit that already dwells in us. Why? So that Christ can live in your heart. Well, the Spirit's already in me. And Christ needs to dwell in my heart through faith. This God, this, this eternal relationship wants to take up residence in me and in you and live in community with us together. Because that's where he goes from there, because that Christ may dwell in your hearts. This word dwell is two words, actually. It's a compound word. It's just down home. That Christ can down home in your hearts through faith. Kata, down. And oikos is house or home. And you take that, a little bit of Greekiness going on, I and it's a part of... Uh, Oikos is oikeo, which is real close to Ikea, which is where that comes from. Trivia question. Right now, you just amaze your friends when you get home. You know where Ikea comes from? It's the Greek word for house. You know, that's where that comes from. Every one of you, so that you, it's not obvious in the English, but you is either singular or it's plural. And this isn't you singular. This is all y'all right here. This is what my grandma said, you This is everybody. I pray that you all being rooted and established. You got deep roots. You got strong foundation in love. That you might have power. Y'all have been rooted together. Every one of you has been established in Christ together that you may be strong to be grasping together with all the Lord's holy people the width and the length and the height and the depth God's love is wide you know that first memory verse maybe that you ever learned John 3:16 for God so loved the world everybody is loved by God you might you might die unsaved or unforgiven but you will never die unloved you've all been loved the length of God's love it's from eternity past to eternity future he chose us before the foundation of the earth was laid he knew our names his love is long he is the Alpha and the Omega he's the beginning and the end his love is high it reaches to the heavens and we've already been blessed in the heavenly realms. It says we were seated with him in heavenly places where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We, we already have this love from the heights because it reaches to the depth. The psalmist said, when I make my bed in the grave, you are there. There's no hold. You can dig deep enough that Christ cannot reach down even deeper and dig you out of it. His love reaches to the lowest of lows, people think that they're too far gone for God's love to really take effect, and it's a lie. His love is deep. Christ reaches us. Is this the love of Christ that you know? Paul says, "I want you to know this love. I don't want you to even. Know, I want you to know it. I want you to experience this love. I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It is beyond knowing, but I want you to know it." I want you to strive to understand something that we can't properly understand. Andrew Peterson's got a song called Always Good. There's a line We try to believe what is not meant to be understood. Why does he want us to know this and experience it? So that you may be filled to all the measure of all the fullness of God. I don't know what it means necessarily to be filled with all the fullness of God. That's a lot of fullness but I'll bet it's a whole lot better than anything I try to fill my life with that isn't him. Stuff that the world's trying to sell us to try and satisfy whatever deepest need they think you have. We can fill ourselves with all manner of false gods and substances or relationships or food or possessions or time or distraction we can fill ourselves with all manner of things but it's not going to fill us it'll just empty us we just be will be left empty but it's hard for God to fill you when you're filled with everything else that you try to fill God will rarely elbow his way into your life he won't force himself on the throne of your heart that's something you surrender to him And I think all of us want to experience more and more that kind of love and that kind of connection. But what if I told you that we can't just experience that for ourselves and and let it sit here. We have to share it. What if we were to pray that kind of love for someone else? Because you have to grasp it before you can give it. You have to know it before you can tell it. You You can't lead where you've not been. And it's hard to pray for someone else when you've not experienced what it is you're praying that person to experience. So at least on some level, we all need to grasp these things for us so that God can do immeasurably more than we all we can ask or think for somebody else. This is praying for one. This is what that card in your bulletin's all about. So go ahead and grab it out of there. Hopefully you've got one or more. So get it out. There's two pieces of paper in there. And I want you to look at. I'm serious. Go get it. Take it out of your Bibles. The big one is, is for me. The little one is for you. And here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to write down the name of someone maybe that, that God has laid on your heart to pray for this year. If you don't know who that is, that's fine. We're going to be reminded of this next week and the week after that. And we'll have these available in, in the coming weeks. Because there's people who aren't here today that need to do this as well. And maybe you don't have your mind made up. Maybe this is the first you've heard about this, and that's fine. You can take that and you can think on it. But the the bigger piece of paper is is to be left here. And and I've already got a basket full on the welcome center that people from first service put in there. This isn't something that we're going to make a big list and broadcast it everywhere. You can even put a first name. You can put initials. It doesn't matter to me on the big piece of paper. The little piece of paper is for you to take home to be reminded this is who you're praying for. Like Delaney said, put it on your phone. It's an alarm. Put it on the bathroom mirror. Put it in the dashboard of your car. Put it on your desk or whatever it is that you, you're, you're going to have time um, to be reminded of praying for this person faithfully lifting them up to the Lord every single day for this year and see what he does. Just see. Put him to the test almost to see what God will do. You might doubt your ability to carry this through. You might doubt your ability to actually do this. I do too. I mean, not you, I mean me. <laughs> I doubt my ability to see this through because I I, I, I tried this. Once I feel like I didn't do so well, I want to do it again. I want to try this one more time, at least one more time, and to see what God will do with it. Because it's not about my ability. It's not about your faithfulness. It's about His power at work. And this is how Paul finishes the chapter. Verse 20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more Than all we ask or imagine, according to his power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Who is able? He is. How much is he able to do? far more than you could ever ask or think? How much is he able to do in you? Far more than you could ever imagine. How much is he able to do for the person you're praying for? Far more than you could ever ask or imagine. How is he able to do it? According to his power. And where is that power at work in this text? In us. We are a pipeline we're a conduit we're just something that god fills and we empty out into somebody else's life his power is at work yes but his power is at work in us guess what that means we need to do we need to let him do it we need to say yes to that we need to ask for that kind of power we need to ask for that kind of opportunity and to echo paul i say to him be glory to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. I got a, I got a book here that's, um, that's lighting me up here lately. I'm only halfway through it. But I found it because I wanted to find a graphic for this idea. And I found that, and I found this, and it's a book by a guy named Bo Chancy from Manchester Christian Church in New Hampshire somewhere. And uh, you, know, you, can, you can buy it wherever books are sold. 1199. I don't know what it is. Here's just a real quick take, and I'll be done. When you pray for one, God says, Yes. It can be the boldest prayer you've ever prayed because it's the one that can be expressed with extreme confidence. There's no mystery here. When you ask God to give you one to share his love with, how do you think he'll respond? Well, how would you respond to your teenage daughter if they come and say, Hey, mom, can I clean my room? Are you kidding me? No way you're going to clean your room. Uh, obviously. Yes. Yes, go ahead and clean your room. What can I help you with? Here's the vacuum that I bought that you can use. Here's the dust rag that I bought. that you can, here's, a, here's a can of s- disinfectant. Boy, take that in there. I bought this. You can have it. All the tools you need. Let me help you. That's exactly what God's going to react. Can I pray for one person? Uh-huh. Yes. God's not going to say... God is not going to say, well, isn't that sweet? I appreciate your willingness to hell, but I've I've, I've got this one taken care of. You've done enough already. Heaven's got plenty of people. I really don't care about those who don't know me. We'll go ahead and let them experience hell. You know, instead of sharing my love, why don't you just hoard it and allow it to fester in your heart? And that's why you can be spoiled rotten from the inside out and become repulsive instead of attractive to those who don't know me. There's really nothing more disgusting than a spoiled Christian. When God's love is not released, there's a sickening turn inward, and we begin to consider every thought through the filter of self instead of the mission of Christ. The inward turn plunges us into a downward descent, and it throws the door open for the most dangerous of sins, self-righteousness. Praying for one removes the focus from self and places it squarely on building Christ's kingdom. We're inspired to a noble cause and are able to transcend self in upward capacity. So, if you know, and you've been praying for that one, fill that card out. There's a basket in the Welcome Center. You can leave it there. Again, this is not going to be public information. You don't have to write the whole name, but it does have to be on your smaller card to take home. We'll have these cards and a visual somewhere in the building that that's we're going to be referring to this. We're going to be encouraging each other to do this. And, and I am I'm excited to know what God is going to do within us, what he's going to lay on your heart to reach out to somebody. And you say, be careful what you pray for because God might actually answer your prayers. So I would I would pray that we would pray about who to pray for. And then let's get praying. Okay? God, thank you so much for the gift that prayer is and that we can just storm the gates of hell with your mission. We can knock hard on the gates of heaven and you hear and you respond and you do what only you can do in us because your your mission here is something you've you've asked us to do it's the church is plan a you've you've not written up plan b anywhere and so may you be given glory in us may we be rooted and established in love may we know who we are in you and if there's if there's anybody among us in our families or in our workplaces that, that really doesn't know who they are, they don't know you, may we love them enough to overcome whatever fear or insecurities that we have to be able to, to love them. Not to convince them, not to convert them, not to argue with them, but to love them with the love that you've given us. It's all you've asked us to do. And help us to be obedient in the Spirit to know how to do that well. In Jesus' name, amen.